1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Stephen Ritz of Green Bronx Machine to talk about his experience growing food with at-risk students in the Bronx. Stephen is a South Bronx educator and administrator who believes that students shouldn't have to leave their community to live, learn, and earn in a better one. Moving generations of students into spheres of personal and academic successes, which they never had imagined, while reclaiming and rebuilding the Bronx, Stephen's extended student and community family have grown to mo- grown more than thirty-five thousand pounds of vegetables in the Bronx, while generating extraordinary academic performance. Affectionately known as America's favorite teacher, Stephen has moved attendance from forty percent to ninety-three percent daily and helped provide. 2,200 youth jobs in the Bronx. Welcome to the show today, Stephen.
2: Hi, thanks, and thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share about how you got to where you're at today? Because it's a pretty exciting story.
2: Well, I think it's a simple story. It's exciting for sure, but it's simply about putting one foot in front of the other and this kind of relentless belief that every day is an opportunity to do something great. Um, I think what people don't know is I am CEO, Chief Eternal Optimist of Bronx County, and that's, you know, the title and the work that resonates the deepest with me, to be, you know, forever optimistic, to have purpose, passion, and hope, and to get up every day and embrace those three things.
0: Nice. Nice. So, you grow food.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I, people say I grow food. I think I tend to grow children. Um, personal performance and school system success so the art and science of growing vegetables if you will uh-huh. align the content area is really changing the entire culture of kids lives of our school and our community and remarkably in a community that has limited means and limited access to healthy fresh food the fact that you can grow it in school aligns the content area instruction is a point of entry for everything we need to do ought to do want to do and should be doing on a daily basis and along the way you get a lot of vegetables to eat how cool is that sure beats ritalin and unilateral.
0: You know, <laughs> that's that is for sure so we actually talked earlier today and while we were on the phone earlier today uh, there was a little commotion in the background and somebody wanted a photograph and when you came back you had a a really exciting story to tell me. Can you share a little bit about that?
2: Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, here in a hundred-year-old building in the middle of the housing projects, four stories up, uh, apart from and devoid of any supermarket, we had our school cafeteria worker come upstairs to grab more lettuce and get more collard greens, Um, you know, because uh, the kids are eating them up daily here. Um, So it's simply a matter of if kids grow it, they will eat it, and if they eat it, they will love it. And guess what? They will want more. And that's a good thing. So it was so cool to have you know, the food service people come upstairs and augment today's menu with even more good, healthy, locally grown food, grown here, in school, en route to outstanding academic performance, four stories up in the middle of the South Bronx. Wow. In a classroom, no less.
0: In a classroom. In so, the
2: middle of December. No in the kidding. middle of December.
0: No kidding. So are you in a... Uh, greenhouse or are you growing this in a classroom
2: I am in a classroom I am literally in what we call the National Health Wellness and Learning Center for people who have seen my last TED talk uh, it's been this, this crusade that I've been on ever since my first TED talk where I've gone from outdoors to indoors and now four stories up but the National Health Wellness and Learning Center is a place of wonder aspiration inspiration and um, food production, along with common core instruction. This week we had 18 periods of kids cooking in class, along with 25 periods of in-class, academically aligned lessons. So we're not an add-on, we're a build-in. And I like to say we are redefining Hoenn in the South Bronx, changing the whole context of what we can grow, what we should grow, and what we do grow in school. But most importantly, we're growing engagement, performance, and outcomes, academic outcomes.
0: And how are you engaging students to do that?
2: Well, first of all, we are using tower gardens in class. That's just one of the many technologies oh that we're using. But we have a tower garden farm here in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally kids go from seed to table, depending on what it is, anywhere from 28 to 34 to 35 days. Mm-hmm. Um, so every kid knows their plant, knows their seed, comes on up. We have an embedded chef, Chef Ricardo, in the school. I have a wonderful food crop worker from Edible Schoolyard, Alex. Um, and we are literally, instead of being an add on, we are a build in. We have common core aligned content area specific lessons so the kids learn about, for example, fractions, ratio, and proportion by seed germination rates. Um, you know, we plant in grow cubes. So we go two by two, three by three, four by four. We look at exponents. We look at math ratios. We convert the percent of germination to fractions and decimals. Um, you know, the beautiful thing about a tower garden is that the bottom of it, you know, it's a little narrower than the, than the top. Right. So we are looking at ratios between circumference and diameter
3: oh. and the radius of
2: the thing as it relates to depth of water. The kids are conducting pH experiments. They're mm-hmm. doing everything. You know, I'm the conductor of a nutty orchestra. I can play an instrument of do the work I do the I get the credit it's a great system. How
0: about that? So for for our listeners that don't know what a tower garden is, can you tell us a little bit more about them?
2: Sure. Well, a tower garden is this aeroponic indoor or outdoor for that matter growing system that uses about 90% less water, 90% less space. For me, it's been a wonderful addition to the repertoire Of tools that I use because first and foremost I'm an educator you know I will say this time and time again people think I'm the ultimate urban farmer Uh Um, what I'm really growing is children there are far far better farmers than me I am an educator so my tool of choice um, for efficacy happens to be the tower garden indoors um, only because they're lightweight they're portable they're scalable you know you go from a box to a garden in 45 minutes if you're a man and 20 minutes if you're a woman you watch <laughs> the video and read the instructions, but nonetheless, it's all one classroom, period. Right. Um, the technology is proven. It's lightweight. There's a website that you can you know reference. There's online technical support. Um, you know, for years, I spent time kind of using DIY technology and using right. other technology, and I've moved away from that because it's not scalable and replicable. Right. So as my career as an educator goes and my impact as an educator grows, I want technology that is affordable, um, you know, seamless, replicable, and takes the emphasis off DIY, but rather, and puts it on SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures. And then what does that allow? It allows for teachers to educate, it allows for kids to grow, yeah. it allows for them to integrate and get access to this healthy, fresh food, and also change their outlooks on academics and what can be done in school. Right. And on a commercial scale, you know, make no doubt about it, Tower Gardens and Future Growing you know, are proven industry leaders for growing food and doing it with 90% less water and 90% less space. But I also use outdoor soil gardens. Mm -hmm. Um, What people don't know is now 35,000 pounds of vegetables later, my favorite crop is organically grown citizens, graduates of the middle class. Yeah, (laughs) I love arugula and eggplant. But I really love kids who are healthy, who are eating healthy, who are going to class, who are engaged, who are interested yeah. in college, and understand that food is something that comes from the ground or and you know, through nature and nurture. Yeah. And in that process, when kids learn about nature, they learn to nurture. And when my kids learn to nurture, we as a society collectively embrace our better nature. You know my kids understand that plants and and animals and all things around them are living breathing things just like they are and with a little bit of care and a whole lot of love anything is possible and that's what this movement is truly about
0: yeah Well, I found over and over and over again that if you know if if kids grow something they're gonna eat it period
2: absolutely if they grow it they eat it but in this community Where we're seeing so many immigrants from other countries where food was so scarce, Mm -hmm. even though traditionally it was an agricultural society, when you put healthy, fresh food in front of them, wow, they love it, their parents love it, and they really get excited. Uh, You know, we're proud to have an adult, uh, a parent child cooking class here after school that's being taught with the food that we're growing in the classroom. And um, just this week, we had the White House chef, Bill Yosses, up here cooking with food that the kids grew. Mm-hmm. How cool is that, that the White House chef would cook with them with the stuff that they grew in school en route to outstanding academic performance?
0: Nice. Nice, nice. So this is called the Green Bronx Machine, yes?
2: Yes, the Green Bronx Machine. Please like them on Facebook. The kids run a wicked Facebook page, or you could visit our website at greenbronxmachine.org. Um, but, yeah, like the Facebook page, please. The kids go nuts. Perfect.
0: Perfect. So you started the project, and I I originally said when we talked a little while ago, with an edible wall in your classroom, and you said, well, that's not the whole story. Can you tell us the whole story? Oh,
2: yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of pieces to this story that people aren't aware of. Um, but, you know, the big one is, number one, I'm not a farmer. I started this as a you know, some literally many years ago, someone sent. My career started doing gang force, gang, gang task force work. So I've done gang task force work. I've been mm. the crisis intervention counselor. I was dean of students. Um, you know, I've worked with kids um, who are chronically born into substance abuse, or and or are substance abusers in addition to a lot of other things. So I think kids need outlets. So I was always been kind of that innovative teacher, the teacher who was willing to go beyond the box and do things a little differently. Um, But my work with farming started remarkably by accident. And literally, I was promoted to a position dean of students in one of the most dysfunctional high schools in all of New York City. Wow. Um, And someone sent me a box of daffodil bulbs. And I didn't know what these things were. They were (laughs) little projectiles. I thought they were onions or something. But they just instantly said, danger, danger, danger. I looked at these things. I looked at big kids who didn't get along in one room. And I saw things that could be thrown. And I said, Problem. So I took these things and I hid them behind the radiator. And this is in a room in wow. a school where like the paint is so thick on the walls uh-huh. it's probably uh you know a quarter of an inch thick of paint. You know, they just slap one more coat of you know, like that, that bile green paint or that wretched gray paint on the wall. Right. And we had these huge old radiators. And I took this box of bulbs and I just hid it behind the radiator and totally forgot about it. Um and I guess a couple of weeks later um. There was an incident in class, and one of the kids was digging behind the radiator looking for something to throw at someone else. And there were hundreds and hundreds of flowers, and it was like an epiphany moment. You know? Wow! Like a fight, um. To, you know, to a summer of love, to a hippie, a hippie gathering, if you will. Uh huh. Um. And, you know, we just had hundreds and hundreds of daffodils. And I didn't even understand how they came from those little onions, to tell you the truth, these long green stems with these beautiful golden flowers. Uh-huh. And it was just really this incredible moment um, that I believe every moment is a teachable moment. Yeah. And we took those daffodils, and the boys wanted to give them to the girls for sex, and the girls said we should sell them, and the boys said we should sell them, and someone had something that they wanted to do. With them, and we learned about. So I figured we should get more of these bulbs. They were kind of cool, and so of course someone sent them to me in October. And this happened long, I think, in right around Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. So I called up the person and said, "Hey, those things you sent me, those magic seeds—they're really cool." <laughs> so they're like, "Steve, we've got a whole lot more." So I suggested that maybe we get involved. It turns out my kids and I planted, I think, 15,000 or 20,000 bulbs across New York City to commemorate 9-11. Wow. We were invited to go everywhere, uh-huh. um, in, up to and including winning the Golden Daffodil Award, where the kids and I were invited to City Hall. And my kids, who traditionally are apart from success, and in particular this group of kids, many of whom uh, came to me with a lot of baggage, including... Um, you know, prior convictions and some probation time and some community service, mandated community service hours felt really successful. And more importantly, people around the city perceived them as being successful, not as part of the problem, but as part of the solution. So we got invited to do all kinds of projects, you know, because we were really good at it. And kids Uh who had never succeeded learned that, you know. These kind of task oriented jobs, you know, things that had a hierarchy of skills, um, really could be the kind of work that they liked to do and move them from being apart from to becoming a part of in uh, ways that benefited 100% of society. So we started building community gardens. Um, ultimately, we, we then learned a few years later about vegetable gardens because we didn't know that we could grow food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the food that we eat is what I call a mess. <laughs> a manufactured edible synthetic substance that comes in a single oh, certain bag with infinite nice. shelf life. So when we started learning we could grow food, that was kind of cool until we experienced this thing called whole food where we saw white people spending tons of money on food. Right. Um and you know, we went into a supermarket and after they stopped following me and my kids around for a half hour and we got <laughs> down to business, um, you know, we saw food that had more frequent flyer miles on it that we could ever imagined Uh but we also saw things that looked like some of the stuff that we were growing right but different variations so you know traditionally in my neighborhood we grow green peppers because that's all we know it's kind of like the hood pepper if you will Uh but when we saw red peppers and yellow peppers and orange peppers and more importantly, white people buying them for 8 and $9 a pound. My kids turned around and said, "Ritz, this is an opportunity. <laughs> and I said, you're right. Well, they didn't say it so politely. They accused me of doing something very evil to them. What's that? Like they, in so many words, they accused me of screwing them, although much more graphically. Um, you know, because I said I was wasting their time having them grow green peppers. But quite frankly, I didn't know what any other pepper was myself. Right. I had no exposure to it. Yeah. Um, you know, so remarkably, I guess, about... 10 years ago I couldn't tell you more than 10 types of vegetables today I grow 37 kinds of fruits vegetables and flowers indoors in class with kids and most of it high-end and most of it really tasty I'll bet you know we went on that year to establish a wonderful relationship with Whole Foods where they actually let us sell our product in their store on certain days Um, and that was great you know for kids who had been previously arrested for selling marijuana basically we increased the size of the plastic bag and increased the margins um, my kids then went on to work with Majora Carter and Sustainable South Bronx. And oh, I love what she's doing. Emerging green wall industry yeah. and the green, whole green-collar economy, if you will. And that's when we realized that there was something greater. Now, ultimately, what happened is I wanted to bring this success indoors mm-hmm. um, because it was great that my kids and I were traveling the city, um, but in order to be scalable and replicable, you can't be a one-man traveling show. You've got to empower other people to do this. right. So when I learned that I could grow food vertically or grow plants, you know, vertically, this was like a dream come true. Right. Um, and yes, I gave birth to the first edible classroom in all of New York City where we grew enough food indoors to feed the entire school, um, which is rather remarkable. That um, even that became a series of iterations where I've moved from one technology to another technology. I moved into hydroponics. But then realized hydroponics was basically vertical, I mean, horizontal. Right. And in New York City, in schools that are always pressed for real estate and classroom space, you know, that was a very base, intense operation to get yield. So I decided um, instead of doing soil-based, I I happened to come across Tower Gardens after my kids and I won the National Indoor Gardening Championship. And we were invited out to San Francisco. And that was kind of interesting because my kids and I were amazed what everyone was growing out there.
0: Oh, no kidding. Um,
2: You know. They're growing towers, too, buddy. Um, so 17 of my kids and I, you know, when you, won, when you show up thinking you won the indoor gardening championship and High Times Magazine wants to interview you, <laughs> you know you've got a problem and you better call your principal. But, again, problems are opportunities dressed in work clothes. And, yep. you know, the kids and I huddled. We promised to behave. They promised to behave. And we came away with some new technology, which really allowed us to iterate and go in a whole new direction and, you know, reap a harvest and have outcomes that I've never imagined.
0: So how are you seeing this affect the students? Like, you got any specific stories that are just, like, amazing?
2: Well, I mean, my story is rather amazing. I've lost over 100 pounds eating the food that I grow with kids in school, so it's the power of example.
0: Oh, big time. Um,
2: But real, as here, I've got kids growing food that they're taking home every other week. And that's really cool. I've got kids growing vegetables for teachers. Um, You know, for the little guys. And again, part of my evolution is how do I do this on a bigger scale on Mm -hmm. a bigger scale and make it replicable and impact more people? Right. Um, You know, I started with overage, undercredited kids. Now I'm in an elementary school. Um, because simply put, it is easier to raise healthy children yep. and fix broken men. Yeah. And I like starting them at a young age, you know, like in high school, you tell them, you know, vegetables and they tell you, go to hell. I want cell phones, sneakers and sex. Yep. You know, but little kids get excited about strawberries and vegetables right. and growing things. And, you know, I'm still a guy who marvels that you could put a seed in the ground and 30 <laughs> or 60 days later, have a sixth plant that gives you something to eat. To eat, I know, um, not amazing? But taking that and aligning that to common core and content area, using that mystery, that inquiry, that joy that we all experience as a little kid in kindergarten when we crack the lima bean seed, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then put it in that wet paper towel, aligning that to content area instruction becomes the lens for all that kids need to do so, um, in school, academically. And also, health-wise, because here in the South Bronx, we are the least healthy county in all of New York State. For every $1 we spend on education, we spend $16 on health Um, care. I have classes where almost every single student here has an adult or another member of their family with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. The obesity rate here is huge. Um, so really taking food on mm-hmm. um, is, is a great thing to do For so many reasons Because I believe that healthy children Are at the heart of healthy schools And right. healthy schools are at the heart of resilient communities yep. So in order for a community to be resilient It absolutely has to be food secure mm-hmm. And food healthy um, You know, I, I'm not I'm Into prevention, not treatment
0: Right uh, You know, I love the, the phrase that's out Self-care,
2: there care not health care
0: Exactly that's exactly what I was going to say. You read my mind on that one. So you, you've mentioned the t- the term common core a couple of times. Can you just say a little bit about that and the connection to Well, you the know, food?
2: common core is somewhat controversial, and uh-huh. it is, you know, a set of standards that teachers are mandated to teach to. Um, but for me, I'm not going to fight that. What I'm going to do is do the work that I feel compelled to do aligned to the work that needs to be done. And what needs to be done is kids need to learn to read and write. They need to learn to read, they need to learn to write, they need math skills, they need communication skills, and most importantly, they need patience and fortitude, grit, and resilience. And these are things that come remarkably through farming. Um, Because in this age of 2.0, 3.0, what's next, the next application, the next thing, you know, kids wanna move on quickly. Right. Um, But what they need to learn is that, you know, you have to harvest. You have to sow a crop before you can harvest. I apologize. You have to sow a crop before you can harvest. Yeah, that's perfect. And that input equals output. So things take time, and time is a thing I must earn, and that everything has a season. Now, remarkably indoors, I'm flipping the seasons on seasons, which is kind of cool. But, you know, things don't happen overnight. Food doesn't come. I mean, you know, you ask kids where food comes from, they think it comes from, you know, some lady in the cafeteria (laughs) or from a or from the basement of something or from a truck. They don't realize that, you know, the, the water that comes out of the faucet and comes into the toilet is the water that falls from heaven. And it's the very water that these kids need aid to drink and to nourish their sacred plants. So for me, the flip side is now I have reading to plant programs, which is allowing me to get some real good diagnostic tools on kids' abilities, yep. um, both strengths and weaknesses. Um, so if I go up to little Johnny and say, little Johnny, come read with me, you know, he doesn't want to read with me because he knows he can't read. He knows I'm out to test him. But if I stick him by this beautiful, verdant, green, glowing, growing thing in the middle of the classroom and say, read to these plants, Johnny, guess what? He will. <laughs> and the cool thing is if he does a good job when he goes to lunch, I swap out the little plants for big plants. And tell him, look what a great job you've done. Oh,
0: nice. You know, so There's a little
2: bit of smoke and mirrors and the kids say, I did that. And I'm like, yeah, you did that. But in the process, I have great data that drives instruction that enables me to, you know, correctively teach and correctively instruct so that kids get it. Um, You know, kids love sitting by their tower garden. They love getting their reading pen on, their moon pen on. I have plant police and leaf monitors. I have pH patrol. I have all kinds of clubs and groups that, you know, aggregate around this doing good and understanding that we're growing something greater. And for the bigger kids, when I tell them to be quiet the plants are having sex, Oh Oh my my gosh! You can you can hear a pin drop. You know Uh, they don't want to miss that moment. Oh, I'm sure Um, they don't want to miss that moment. I'm sure it's a Hollywood moment for them. Yeah, exactly. So there are all kinds of things. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's incredible and beautiful. And I wish everyone could see me here, four stories up, in the middle of a concrete jungle, in the National Health, Wellness, and Learning Center, with towers and towers of beautiful food that looks good and smells great that kids love to eat. So I love to cook and love to talk about
0: them. Yeah, you're, you're, you've are you got lights on these then, yes? Or are they in a greenhouse? Yes,
2: I'm indoors. Yeah, I've got lights uh-huh. on them indoors, yeah. And, you know, I'm still learning all kinds of yeah. things. You know, I'm using T5s, but, you know, we also have bicycle-powered blenders. We're going to solar cap these bad boys. Um, kids are measuring water. They understand what a meniscus is. They're looking at, you know, mixing nutrient solutions. So mm-hmm. they understand ratio and proportion. Yep. And then, you know... Everything needs care and everything needs love, just like them. So you've done some incredible work
0: over the past. What does your future hold for you? Where, where, where are you going?
2: Well, number one, Green Bronx Machine is going national. We launched a sister chapter, brother sister chapter in St. Louis. Nice. So we're in three more schools in St. Louis, and the Boys and Girls Club. Uh-huh. Um, I'm getting set in January to head to Dubai. Wow, Um, We are going to be featured in the new Michael Pollan film called In Defense of Food. Food. But most importantly, we are looking to go deep. And I mean deep right here. And I said it in my last TED Talk that this is where I'm putting my stake in the ground. And quite frankly, it's working in the South Bronx by going pre-K to five. Since we've been here, we've seen a 50% reduction in behavioral incidents and out of class time. Mm-hmm. Which is great, because what does it mean? It means teachers want to teach because kids want to be here. Right. Because they're excited to be yeah. here. So we are changing, you know, the lens of instruction and the culture of school. We've got adult parent, you know, parent-child cooking clubs that are showing up. I've nice. got parents that want to learn how to do this technology. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm working with the White House chef to do food handling, food safety, and food prep certification. You know, we want to be good farm, at, you know gap certified all these little things that are going to really we've got local restaurants contacting us mm-hmm. so the possibilities are limitless but for me it focuses two two of my biggest things i focus on every day quality of instruction and quality of learning how are teachers teaching how are kids learning yeah. how do we get it to the next level
0: what does this look like in 10 years
2: it looks like a National Health Wellness and Learning Center in every school for sure. It looks like every kid growing food, eating food, talking about food, using silverware, um, you know, understanding what utensils are, understanding what a well-balanced plate looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like kids eating more plants, loving more plants, and growing more plants. Yeah. You know, I tell the kids we got we need some heavy breathers. The the plants need carbon dioxide. Breathe heavy, yo. Nice. It looks like engagement. It looks like really less medication, less obesity, mm-hmm. and more understanding of cause and effect. And when I sit here with my kids in the poorest congressional district in America, my next Sandra Sotomayor, uh, you know, my next Barack Obama. You know, I realize that input equals output. You wouldn't put vinegar in your Porsche or your Testarossa, and these are my little Ferraris, my little Mercedes, Mm -hmm. my little sports cars. So for me, giving them critical nutrition where they need it most in school and the ability for them to take it home and share this wonderful thing with their families is critical.
0: Beautiful. 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 I'm going to shift a little bit on you now. Go ahead. I'd like to know about a time you failed and how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it.
2: Oh, I fail all the time. I fail all the time. But the critical thing with failure is it's the greatest learning opportunity in the world. I mean, you succeed right out. You never know what the hell you did. Yeah. You know, you just got lucky. Um, So I fail all the time. I mean, one of my biggest failures, I think, was really using growing media in schools Um, indoors, although it was my greatest learning, because it was messy, (laughs) it was sloppy, it was earthy lean. You know, it was also kind of declaring love for a particular kind of technology, because I jokingly say now, my lesson is, you know, I'm married to my wife and everything else is innovation. (laughs) um you know so sometimes like you know you can get uh, a certain manufacturer can give you some stuff and you put it in your class and you think wow this is the solution no it was a great advertising opportunity for him yeah um it really wasn't a or her or that company um so you know i'm trying now i've done some hugely iconic big projects which i'm very proud of don't get me wrong and i'm proud of all the work and all the partners I've been with, right? But now, for me, for this to really be sustainable, it has to be less about the iconic project and more about the long-term implementation of this into kids' lifestyles across all kids and parents and teachers. You know, creating a culture, not a project.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, you know, so so culture eats strategy for breakfast. So sometimes <laughs> these big strategic projects that you think are going to change the world and get you a ton of notoriety, yeah, they have, and then you move on. But culture is the game changer, and yeah. culture takes time.
0: Perfect. And what do you consider your biggest success?
2: Well, on a personal level, my biggest success is, I guess, the fact that I am walking the walk. I myself am now a, you know, a trim 175 as opposed to a, you know, a booming 300. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not on medication. Um, but my big success is that kids know what vegetables are. You know, that they love coming here, that they come early and stay late. My biggest, biggest success is that discipline issues it down because kids want to be here learning. Mm-hmm. Um, my big success is that, you know, I have 50 kids showing up daily to garden in school in the middle of the South Bronx. Nice. It's a place where there is no nature and there is no nurture. Well, there's lots of nurture, don't get me wrong. Um, but you know the opportunity to nurture nature uh-huh. now we have that opportunity and that's a beautiful thing The right. kids love planting seeds and love tasting vegetables and love coming in here to cook the fact that I have a green Bronx machine mobile classroom kitchen that can go classroom to classroom mm-hmm. um, and allows great people to come in here and do wonderful things so it's not about me it becomes about we that's what I'm most proud of wow. the fact that kids know where their vegetables come, come from, from. It's awesome
0: yeah I'm 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 sitting over here and I'm just beaming. James is looking at me and I my smile is sore because this is what I've dreamed of so many decades is that we could actually. Well, pl- I mean the
2: kids are celebrating. I yeah, mean, the kids are celebrating. Go look at our Facebook page. They run it. I don't. So I mean, you know I I don't use Facebook. I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> um, you know, but nice. go check out the website. You know, the fact oh. that my kid in the poorest congressional district in America. You know, earlier today I was on the phone with them. Um, PBS and American graduate that our work can be fe- featured on American graduate, nice. that a guy with no agricultural experience can become, you know, a top yeah. 10 finalist in the global teacher prize simply because I'm farming my way to academic success with kids tells a story that anything is possible. Big time. And that's what education is all about. Yeah. Collaboration, cooperation and coalition. And for me, that's what these big things are. Yeah.
0: What drives you?
2: And well, every day is an opportunity to do something great. So what drives me is, you know, I am an, equity warrior um, and I believe that we can cure hunger and poverty in my lifetime if not sooner and we need to do that we need to do that ASAP so that's what drives me yeah. um, but what else drives me birds and bees drives me the excitement <laughs> of seeing kids happy drives me you know the fact that I could walk into any classroom and answer a million questions Um. that drives me yeah. happy kids drives me
3: yeah
2: and the fact that I'm in the poorest congressional district in America um, with the greatest natural resource in the world, human potential, yeah. untapped human potential, um, that's what drives me to move a community that has forty percent unemployment, that that is chronically diseased and not diseased, but diseased by stress, yep. by environmental issues, by chronic health concerns. Um, this is what drives me, that I can change lives and probably do it with the simple act of putting a seed in the ground or a seed in the cup in the middle of a classroom again and again and again, day in and day out, 365 days a year.
0: Uh-huh. Beautiful. Beautiful. So what projects are you currently working on that, you know, like looking out into the future?
2: Well, right now we are really focused on iterating and operationalizing the National Health, Wellness, and Learning Center. We have a kitchen, we have a grow facility, we have a state-of-the-art classroom, we have a Promethean board. My goal is to tweak that so we can get to the point where every teacher in the school, in every content area is comfortable in being here Mm -hmm. and understands how to use this facility aligned to their interest and their discipline. Not about my interest and my discipline, but their interest, their discipline, and their pedagogy, and then ultimately ramp up food production to the point where we can send kids home in the South Bronx, with 100 bags of groceries per week, 52 weeks a year. Wow, that's just amazing. Yeah, I think so. It's a good start. I love that. And then <laughs> it's worn down the nation. And then it's and then exactly, it's world down the
0: exactly. I, l- I love it that you said that's a good start. Well,
2: no, I'm running as a Republican candidate. I just may have to take on the Republican Party and you know, like announce my candidacy as well. Yeah. But until then, you know, I'm quite content to be, you know. The the CEO, Chief Eternal Optimist of Bronx County, and the, you know, undisputed mayor of my classroom kingdom. Yeah, perfect.
0: Perfect. So I have to know, I'm all about education. Is there one book that has been, like, the the key book in structurally sending you this direction?
2: Oh, my God. What a great question. I always want to ask the person. Usually that's a loaded question because you have a book you want to offer up to me, so I will certainly let you offer up your book. But I think the most fundamental book for me was a book by this incredible author, Robert Shetterly, um, about, entitled Americans Who Tell the Truth. And it was inspired by his reaction to 9-11, and he just went back in time quoting Americans who were classically known for telling the truth. Because for me, this is about being an American. A Mexican, mm-hmm. a Domina can, an African American, a Canadian. You know, we don't raise cans. We raise cans and ams and ours. Nice. Um, and I do believe that the truth will set you free. So when I read a book, um, and it's a beautiful picture book, and happened to meet Robert Shadowley as well, he became one of the biggest influences in my life because he was an American determined to tell the truth. Right. And that's really what this work for me has been about in schools and with kids my entire life, my entire career. Right now, I happen to be growing vegetables that are growing children. Um, who knows what it will look like in the future. I do want to get involved in the foster care movement and really kind of take that on in mm-hmm. the next seven years. Um, but, you know, right now i got a lot of vegetables to grow in classrooms to outfit. And I believe that when we move those who are apart from becoming a part of, um, all of us benefit, and that every kid loves seeing something grow and being that, you know, and, and being involved in that. Yeah. Um, and the bottom line is food is a non-negotiable. <laughs> so Every child needs to eat, yeah. and uh, in this community where 37% of the residents are food insecure, that I could help bring some food security. Today we will be delivering 55 gallon trash bags of locally grown food to soup kitchens and shelters that the kids grew. Um, to provide those in need, you know, densely nutritious food, that to me is, it, 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 you know, is the kind of victory that makes me want to get up early in the morning and stay up late working at night. And thank God I'm able to do that each and every day. Yeah. You know, I'm just blessed to be able to do the work I'm doing. I'm thankful for my friends, my colleagues, my students, and the parents who support me. Um, and those who stood by me, you know, well, I was, you know, screaming this, creaming this fact that we've got to change the food. Yeah, Realize I've been an educator for 30 years and you know in the 30 years that I've been here the kids are getting sicker and fatter. Mm-hmm. Now in elementary schools I see kids going through puberty in second and third grade and I tend wow. to believe it's largely due to stress but also largely due to what we eat which can, contributes to that stress. Yeah. Um, so taking care of ourselves is a good thing and it starts by what we put in our mouth. Beautiful.
0: So do you have one final piece of advice for our listeners today?
2: Sure. Get out there and do it. Grow something greater. Put one foot in front of the other. Don't be afraid. You know, do something great every day or give somebody a hug, damn it, you know. (laughs) Um, And if you're real wealthy, go fund our GoFundMe campaign. Make a contribution to the Green Bronx Machine GoFundMe campaign. Um, The kids are selling shirts and all kinds of really cool stuff, and they make sure it's child, and child labor-free and environmentally responsible. So those are my big wishes. Give someone a hug, grow someone, grow something greater, and give of yourself. Um, In a data-driven society, data tells us one thing. The biggest prognosticator to a child, single biggest prognosticator for a child to succeed in life Uh is having access to one kind caring adult. So if you can be a kind, caring adult in a child's life, you are paying it forward forever. Beautiful. And that's what this is all about. Put a seed in the ground. Use less water. I want to start a campaign to save water. People think I'm crazy. I'm telling people to not wear underwear one day a month. And okay. a million Americans save one day of laundry of a pair of underwear and no one will know your secret contribution to saving the world, that's a good place to start. <laughs> but if you want to do something bold and audacious, you can donate some money or donate some time or donate some technology. Um, and, you know, please visit the Green Bronx Machine Facebook page. Visit the website. Follow us on Twitter. Right, now I think the kids have an Instagram page. I can't I'll keep bet. up with it. But, I'll you bet. know, I'm just delighted to be at the epicenter of this and encourage everyone, you know, if it comes from a plant, if it is, if it is a plant, eat it. If it comes from a plant, think twice. Eat less of it.
0: There you go.
2: Bread seeds, not bombs.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience. This has been incredible. Like I said, I'm just grinning ear to ear over here because I just love, what you Well, go love, look at the love, pictures on the
2: kids' Facebook page. Perfect. I can send you some links. I'm going to send you some nutty links. I'll send Perfect. you some pictures, Gary.
0: Yes, definitely send us some links. We'll put them on the show notes page. Uh, give us the uh, Facebook page again, and um, how do we get a hold of you?
2: Oh, how do you get a hold of me? Easy. Stephen, S t e p h e n dot Ritz. At GreenBronxMachine.org. Now, realize I get a lot of email, yes. plus a lot of uh, work-related stuff, Yep. but I promise I'll get back to you Um, to just be patient.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I understand that. GreenBronxMachine.org. And I'll bet there's a yep. Facebook link there as well.
2: Uh, for sure. My last three words. C- Please. That's what we say. The power of c puede here in the South Bronx.
0: Hit me with that again, would you?
2: Si se puede. Yes, we can. Welcome to the South Bronx and experience the power of si se puede. Yes, we can. Thank you,
0: thank you, thank you. Well, and that's all for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org,